So I was motivated uh, after 9-11. So af- after my three years on Wall Street, I decided it's, you know, it's been an interesting run, but this isn't what I want to do for the future. And I went back to grad school and I studied what I had studied in college, which was uh, international relations. And that's what I was interested in. And I got my master's in international affairs. And uh, my second, the second year of my program, I studied abroad in Paris. And I thought, when the year was up, I thought I would come back to the United States, I would find a job pretty quickly. And that was that. But I moved back and a week later, 9-11 happened. So among many other things that happened in the country at that time and the whole mood of the country, there were no jobs. I mean, people were laying off, people thought it was the end of the world. Um, And here I was with my fancy expensive degrees and no job. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Creative Breakthrough, the podcast that provides you with the strategies to elevate your creative passion to the next level. I'm your host, creative hustler, and chicken wing lover, Shireen Kassam, aka The Funny Brown Girl. And yes, I have an unhealthy obsession with chicken wings. Now, get ready to flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Creative Breakthrough. I am your host, Shireen Kassam, aka The Funny Brown Girl. Hey, if you're tuning in on YouTube, you should be so happy. I washed my hair and did it for y'all. So uh, thank you for motivating me to go do my hair and actually wash it. I don't know how many days it's been, y'all. We are in the middle of COVID-19, aka coronavirus. We are in week five here in Florida um, that we have been on lockdown, though we've reopened the beaches again, which I have not been to, nor do I plan on going to the beach because I still think that we should be on lockdown and in our houses. But hey, who am I to say? Because I am not a governor of a state. So anyways, um, this is also my first week of being officially on furlough from Disney. If you don't know what furlough means, I didn't either. I think it's a word they made up for this whole COVID-19 thing. But furlough means basically is being unemployed on steroids. So it means my job is still there at Disney. So after this whole COVID-19 thing is over and we go back to work, my job is still there. So I'm not out of a job. Um, but I'm not getting paid right now, but I do have health care benefits. And if you live in the United States, you know, that's huge because that's a big chunk of money. So like all in all, it's not like the worst thing in the world, but there is that sense of like dread or fear. Like, will we ever be normal again? Will we ever open the parks again? Will we ever go back to work? And so, um, it's been an interesting couple days. It's, it's Wednesday. So I've been, uh, on furlough for three days And it's funny because like my therapist was talking to me about this and she was like, it's so important to continue being on a schedule. Like even though you have nowhere to be or nowhere to go, you need to stay on a schedule because you'll quickly fall into this like trap of maybe depression or just being bored or not being productive. And so I've been really, really trying hard to stay on that schedule. I mean, I don't wake up at 630 in the morning anymore. Like that's not happening. Um, I'm usually up by 10 a.m. And then I set like I set myself up to do three to four things a day. Like these are the tasks that I need to get done today. So it's been really good so far. I mean, I've been trying to work out more, stay healthy, eat healthy. Um, The washing my hair thing has kind of fallen by the wayside. But yeah, all in all, I mean, I'm doing okay. And I just want to let you guys know that I, I know it's a tough place to be if you are unemployed right now, if you are furloughed. I mean, there is that stress right now, obviously, about how do you pay bills? How do you make money? How do you 
how do you survive? And I, I, it's really hard for me because I had told myself that at the end of this year, by September, I wanted to move to New York or LA. And I was like, I'm going to have all this savings that I'm accumulating. And now I don't have any savings coming in, but I'm already going through my savings, if that makes sense. So, so I'm in a, I'm in a position where I'm kind of like unsure about how that's all going to play out and sure we get unemployment here in the United States. Um, but they are so backlogged because there's been so many claims of unemployment. I want to say we're at 20 million cases of unemployment, but I could be wrong. But I mean, Disney laid off over a hundred thousand people this week. So the systems are just backlogged and people aren't getting the money fast enough. So it is a scary time. And I want to get into that more before we jump in to, uh, unemployment and COVID-19, um, I want to say thank you to all of you who have joined the Facebook group. I love the conversations that are happening in there right now, the support that people are giving. If you have not yet joined the Facebook community, there are two easy ways to do it. One, you can go to facebook.com and type in break creative breakthrough community, and it should pop up. Or you can go to funnybrowngirl.com forward slash Facebook. Um, I've been sharing resources on there. There's so many free resources out there right now to take free classes and free webinars, um, to, to view things, to learn things. There's just so much out there. And then there's this whole community of people who want to teach and learn and be part of the journey. So totally worth getting into and tapping into that. Um, also join my newsletter every week. I'm sending out a newsletter with new opportunities and new, I, uh, newsletter or new, um, articles that are really interesting for creatives, things that I'm not particularly putting on the Facebook group. I'm trying to keep them kind of separate. So join the email list as well. And you can do that at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. Okay. So back to unemployment and furlough. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I have a job right now. So like, is this really relevant to me? I think it is still relevant, um, because COVID-19 isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so the world is going to continue to change. And what I want to talk to you about today is what was really interesting is that when they made the phone calls at Disney to tell people they were furloughed, there was three types of responses. Um, and not, none of these responses are bad, but I'm, I'm using them as an example. So like there's three types of responses. There was the response from a certain group of people who were really upset, who were really angry, who were really anxious about what was happening. Right. I mean, there. Disney is a company that people build their lives around. People have been working there for 10, 15, 20, 50 years. Like they've given their lives to this company and this company defines who they are. And so for them, when they got furloughed, it really hurt them. It really made them kind of angry. Like, why would Disney furlough me? I've given my whole life to them. Um, I'm anxious now. I'm worried. I'm scared. Like what's going to happen? Totally valid feelings. And so there's that first type of first type of people who really have a hard time understanding what's happening. And for some of them, it's probably the first time they've ever been laid off or they've ever been furloughed. And so this is a hard time for them to kind of process. And when you take being furloughed alongside what's happening with COVID-19, and then if you have family members who are sick and getting COVID-19, or you have your kids at home, and there's just so much happening that this is just something else to add to the fire. And maybe you just aren't, you don't know how to deal with it all. You don't know how to prioritize it all. You don't know how to how to um, work through it. And that's totally, totally, totally normal. Um, and then you've got the second group of people who who were okay with being furloughed, who understood the business decision behind it, who understood why it needed to happen. But their biggest fear, their biggest anxiety was, 
oh my God, I'm going to be so bored. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to spend my days? I'm going to have to learn TikTok and I'm going to be watching YouTube videos. And good thing I have Disney Plus because now I can binge watch Disney Plus. And so their biggest fear is just boredom, which mind boggles me because nobody should ever be bored. Like we, I would hope that anybody listening to this podcast can promise me that you are never bored because if you are a creative, like you should always be looking for ways to to improve yourself, to keep creating, to read a book, to write. Um, and I'm not saying, and, and I'm using boredom as like, literally I'm bored, not I'm taking a day of rest or I'm taking a mental health day, or I'm just going to relax today. Those are two separate things. And then the third type of person who reacted to the news was someone like me who was like, okay, well, Good thing I have all these other things that I'm going to go work on because this is the perfect time to go work on my podcast, to go work on my comedy, to go write a book, to go write a one person show. Like, and that's why I think it's so important to have a creative outlet. That's why this podcast exists is because if you're listening to this podcast, you have a flame inside of you. You have a creative passion, a creative pursuit inside of you. And maybe you haven't taken the steps to go make it happen, to make it fruitful, to bring life to it, right? To breathe air into it. I don't know what the phrase is that I'm looking for right now. Um, there's a metaphor, but maybe you haven't brought it to life or maybe you have. And that's why like, this is the perfect time to go and invest your time and energy into that, because that's a great way to release fear, release anxiety, release that anxiousness that you might be holding into you. And so I'm so lucky. Like when my manager called me and told me I was furloughed, I was like, at first it was, it was interesting because I had prepared for it. One, I kind of knew it was going to happen, but then, and I, and I won't lie. I did get a little emotional because there is that fear of, will I be employed ever again? Or will I stay unemployed? Like, will I ever get my job back? I don't know. And that's the fear of the unknowns. But I talked about this two weeks ago where as a person, my career doesn't define me. As a person, I've got five things that defined me um, at the beginning of 2020. And that was uh, my podcast, which is this comedy, uh, a loving relationship, my job, and my online business. And unfortunately, at the beginning of 2020, um, I lost one of those. So I was down to four and now I've lost another one. So I'm down to three, but three things that still define me is enough to keep me sane. It's enough to say like I has still have a purpose in this world. And two of those things out of the three are, well, actually all three, but they're all creative passions. They're all creative pursuits. I mean, comedy, I can, even though all the comedy clubs are shut down, even though there's nowhere to go perform comedy, unless I do a zoom comedy show, which I tried and didn't like, and I please stop asking me guys to do another comedy show on zoom. I just cannot do it, but it doesn't mean I can stop writing. Like I still can stop, keep writing. I signed up for a, um, I signed up for a writing show class, um, that starts next week. And it's a, how to write a one person show. I've been doing the free Sundance classes. So if you don't know, Sundance is offering their webinars for free. And it was actually really cool. I did the webinar on finding your story. And in the beginning, the instructor says, um, some of you may be procrastinating writing. Some of you may say, I don't want to write today. I'll write tomorrow. And you keep putting it off and putting it off. And that was me. I kept doing it. And she said, it's because you're scared. You're fearful of what you may discover about yourself. And that hit home because I know that I'm scared about something. I don't know what it is, but like I've been writing every day. And it's funny because every day that I've been writing, um, it's not necessarily comedy. I've been just writing free flow of like what's been going on in my head and how I'm, how I'm thinking about COVID and being furloughed and, um, everything else. And I just keep crying when I write. And it's, it's scary because I, sometimes I don't want to write because I don't want to cry. I'm like, I just had a shower and washed my face. I don't want to get tears on my face again. Like, I don't want to do all that. 
So I get it, but it was so eye-opening. And for three hours, she made us sit there and do these exercises for one minute, three minutes, five minutes, where we just had to write with the prompts she gave us. And I, it just made me realize how much I missed writing and like that I had been holding myself back from it. So I highly suggest you go and take these free classes. I mean, there's nothing to lose. If you start it and you don't like it, you can exit out, like no big deal. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, and then I've been working on this podcast. Like the goal with this podcast is to double my listeners. So I'm at X, I want to get to Y and I've got, I don't know how many months to work on that. And then I've got my online business, which luckily is still doing well. And now I get to, I get to work on the creative side of that. Like how do I restructure the marketing and the creative and how do I reach people? And so that's really exciting too. And so really at the end of the day, my biggest fear, other than knowing if I'm going to have a job, um, after COVID is really, will I have enough time? Like, is my furlough going to last long enough for me to have enough time to do all this stuff? And that's where I want you guys to be with your creative passion. I want you to have this inner burning desire inside of you to go start your creative passion or continue your creative passion and be so fulfilled by it that you're worried if you're going to have enough time every day to work on it as much as you want to work on it. Because having that outlet is really going to help you with the stress, the anxiety, better sleep. I mean, it's just going to make you a more well-rounded person. Now, some of you might be thinking, Shereen, and, and a couple of you emailed me this. So I just want to be clear about something. A couple of you emailed me like, Shereen, I still have my job. I'm still expected to be a mom in the house. My kids are home and I'm supposed to be their teacher. Like, where do you want me to find time to be a creative? And I totally get that. And then, and what I'm saying does not apply to everyone. This is not a one size fits all podcast. This is take what you can out of it. So for example, when COVID started for the first, I, I think I said I'm in week five. So the first four weeks, I still had a full-time job, but I knew that I needed to keep my structure for my day because I used to commute to work back and forth. So it was 30 minutes to work and about an hour back from work. And then at work, I would take like an hour lunch break. Where was all that time going when I was working from home? That was time that I needed to better use to work on my creative outlets, to work on my comedy and my writing because I still had to go to work, but now I wasn't commuting. And so it's finding those little pockets of time. But if you are, I mean, a lot of you have your hands full right now. A lot of you have to go and take care of your kids um, and take care of the house and take care of your job. And I'm not saying that you need to give up all of that and work on your creative passion. What I'm saying though, is if you're sitting at home right now and you're like, I am so bored. What is going on? I'm so bored. I don't know what to do. I'm picking my fingernails. Like I'm picking my nose. I hope you're not, but like, you're just bored. There's no reason to be bored right now is the time where you should be working harder than anybody else on your passion. Because when we come out of this, that means you'll be 10, 20, 30 times farther ahead than everybody else who was bored. So I just started reading this book. It's called The Actor's Life, a survival guide by Jenna Fisher. And if you don't know, Jenna Fisher was on The Office. And I'm, and by reading, I mean, I'm listening to the audio version because if you live in the United States, you can download this app called Hoopla and you can link it to your library card, which you can also go online and do right now because libraries are closed. And then you can download audiobooks for free. So I downloaded this book and I've been reading, listening to it. And I'm only on chapter one, but she says right from the beginning, she says, acting is not just um, when you feel like it. You got to keep acting even in the off season. And that's what we are in right now. We are in the off season as creatives. We are in the off season. We don't know what's going on. Comedy clubs are shut down. Theaters are shut down. Movie cinemas are shut down, but we can still be creating. And so that's what I really want to push today is that there is no reason to be bored. To be bored means that you 
you don't want to be successful in your careers, in your creative careers. You do not, you're not passionate enough to go be successful in your creative passions. And that's something else that you should look into your side and self to look into yourself and think about like, why am I not passionate about my creative journey? Am I scared? Am I fearful? Is it like the writing thing where I'm scared to start because I'm not sure what's going to happen? Am I scared of failure? Am I scared of imposter syndrome? And that should be your first exercise is trying to figure out why you're scared. And I'm more than happy to talk to you about it. Like if you want to, if you want to run some ideas by me or just have a talk, a chit chat, whatever, hit me up. Hi at funnybrowngirl.com. That's my email or tweet me, DM me, Facebook me, whatever you want. Let's chat about it. I have plenty of time right now. Like I'm totally available to talk to you. So that's what I want to leave you with today. So today we're not going to do a new interview because I really wanted to replay an interview that I did with Tisa Hami. And Tisa Hami was a guest on our show um, episode 34. So she was the end of season one. And Tisa Hami was, and I'm going to read her bio, but I just want to give you some context on why I have her on the show today or repeating the episode. And it's not the full episode. The full episode is about an hour. Um, I've taken a bit pieces of this episode that I think are relevant. Tisa Hami was looking for a job right, right before 9-11. And then 9-11 happened and then there was a recession. And so she wasn't able to find a job. For, for a year. She was unemployed for a year, but in that year, she discovered stand-up comedy and she became a full-time stand-up comedian for five years, y'all. She traveled all over the United States, all over the world. She was on The View. She became a household name, guys. And that's because she, she said, fine, I can't find a job right now. We're in the middle of the recession, but I have this creative outlet. I have this creative passion. And so she went for it and she made it happen. And so the reason I want to show, play this episode today is that we can use this time. We can, we, just because it's a scary time, just because it's an anxious time, just because it's a fearful time doesn't mean that we can make the most of it. And that's what I really want to urge you guys to do is make the most of this time as much as you can with everything else going on, totally understand everything else going on, but try to find, try to find pockets of time to really maximize this time because we may never get this time again. And so I want you guys all to promise me right now that you will never, not never, I don't want to say, I don't want to like be explicit, but you will not be bored. Okay. You will, you will continue to try and find ways to stay active, to stay engaged and to continue your pursuit of your creative passions. And you will not be bored unless it is a Sunday or you're feeling burnt out or you're feeling sick or you're feeling ill or um, you're going through something in your life. And if, if you do need to talk to someone, if you do want to shoot some ideas by me, if you want to chat, feel like I said, I'm totally open contact me, call me, don't call me because I'm not going to give you my phone number because uh, we're on the internet, but email me and then I'll give you my phone number. Unless you sound shady or sketchy, then maybe not, but we'll see. So anyways, um, enjoy this episode and join the Facebook group, subscribe to the email list, Stay in touch, guys. Stay in touch. It's so important to just stay in touch during this time. Call somebody. Talk to somebody. Um, if you if you need some resources to talk to somebody, some therapy um, people, I can send you those along too. I won't lie. I, I'm still seeing my therapist. We chat every week. And it's not because there's anything wrong with me, guys. It's I mean, there is. There's a lot of things wrong with me. But I mean, there's. it's not that I'm going through something so big that I need a therapist. It's, it's healthy. It's a healthy way to get through life. Like sometimes you just need a third party's opinion about stuff. Sometimes you just want to talk to someone who's not 
a friend or a family member, somebody who's going to give you an outsider's opinion, but who's been trained in this stuff, who understands this stuff and can tell you like what you're going through or what you're thinking about is totally normal um, for most of it, maybe 99%. Maybe there's some of you might be thinking things that are not normal and then you should see a therapist. Um, but I 100% support seeing a therapist. And if you are um, looking for someone, let me know and I can help you find someone. Okay, with that, here we go. Tisa Hami. Activist, idealist, smartass. In the fall of 2002, just a year after 9-11, Tisa Hami dared to do something that no one in America had ever done. Step on stage, veiled, and tell jokes. At a time when Muslim Americans were advised to keep a low profile, she chose to stand up. Tisa's groundbreaking humor quickly caught the attention of audiences, bookers, and the media. She earned a reputation for making people think as well as laugh. Tisa has been featured in media around the world, including the PBS documentary, Stand Up, ABC's The View, NPR, BBC, and The Washington Post. The San Francisco Chronicle named her one of the top 11 female comedians in the country. Tisa Hami now runs her own boutique consulting firm in Boston, Massachusetts. It's called Corsi Consulting, and it focuses on diversity, inclusion, and equity. Check it out at CorsiConsulting.com. Now, what are we waiting for? Let's get started. Welcome to the guest chair, Tisa. Thank you. Hi, Shireen. Hey, I'm so glad to finally get to talk to you. It's been so many years since we've connected. I know. Likewise, looking forward to it. So let's start from the beginning. I'd love to know when your creative journey started. Sure. Um, I was really just sort of one of those kids who did what she was supposed to do. Um, went to high school, tried to study all the right things, study hard, went to the Ivy League. I know you and I both went to Brown um, and never really thought I would be a creative person. But while I was in college and then after college, I went and worked on Wall Street. Um, people would always tell me, you know, you're so funny. You're so funny. What are you doing here? You should be a stand-up comic. Um, and I thought, no, I shouldn't. Like we're at Brown or we're on Wall Street. We're Ivy League grads. We don't do that stuff. Um, and I thought I would have like a really straightforward, traditional career. Um, so I, I never really planned to have a creative life. So this was a surprise even to me. I mean, part of that was cultural and parental expectations, but I expected to have a very standard career. When you said people would tell you you should be a stand-up, had you ever watched stand-up and thought that's what you wanted to do? I had seen it on TV. I had never been to a comedy club until I decided to do comedy myself. I had never been to a comedy club. So I had seen it on TV. And I remember one moment stuck out for me. And I think I was in middle school or high school. I was channel uh, surfing one day and I got to star search and this Asian American woman was on. She was young. She seemed like she was only a few years older than me. And she was on stage telling jokes and she was joking about her family and um, speaking in her parents' Korean accents. And I thought, who is this? And it turns out it was Margaret Cho. <laughs> and I just had, it had never occurred to me that, you know, someone who looks like that or has that story could do stand up. So I, that moment just sort of sticks out for me. Um, but I still never really imagined I would ever do that. So then what, how did you go about learning stand-up or actually starting to do stand-up? Sure. So I was 
motivated uh, after 9-11. So af- after my three years on Wall Street, I decided it's, you know, it's been an interesting run, but this isn't what I want to do for the future. And I went back to grad school and I studied what I had studied in college, which was uh, international relations. And that's what I was interested in. And I got my master's in international affairs. And uh, my second, the second year of my program, I studied abroad in Paris. And I thought when the year was up, I thought I would come back to the United States. I would find a job pretty quickly. And that was that. But I moved back and a week later, 9-11 happened. So among many other things that happened in the country at that time and the whole mood of the country, there were no jobs. I mean, people were laying off. People thought it was the end of the world. Um, And here I was with my fancy expensive degrees and no job. Mm And unemployment that year just dragged on and on. And I ended up being unemployed for over a year, which I had never expected. The thing, though, uh, was there were a few male Muslim comics who started to emerge during that time. And I remember a friend of mine, my best friend from high school, sent me an article from Newsweek that featured a few male Muslim stand-up comics in L.A. who were using comedy and humor to really address the stereotypes and people's fears and combat Islamophobia and all of that. And the the note my friend wrote on the article was, you know, there's no woman doing this or she'd be in this article. And that was sort of her hint to me to really go for it. And I eventually got to the point where I really felt like I had nothing to lose. This job search for a, a sort of a traditional career was going nowhere. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do stand-up. And really when I saw it from the point of view of activism, of social justice, of making my voice heard, of speaking up, speaking out, uh, getting a point of view across, that's when I became interested. I was never really like a Hollywood person or trying to be an actress. I really came about it from the point of view of an activist. Uh, So I got on stage about a year after 9-11 in fall 2002. That was my first show. And it took off from there. And I miss what you said. Oh, I said, I'm sorry. Was this in New York? This was in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts, in Harvard okay. Square, across oh, cool. from the university at a little club called the Comedy Studio. Yes. Okay. With Rick Jenkins. With Rick Jenkins. Yeah. In the <laughs> attic of a Chinese restaurant. Yes. Um, but Oh, so you mentioned how did I get into it when I wasn't really, didn't really have that background. I took an adult I, I took a class at the Boston Center for Adult Education. Oh my God, I took the comedy. same class. Did you? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Who was your teacher? Dana J. Bean. Okay, I don't think I know he, Dana. He may have started after. Cause oh, okay. He is turning, well, I won't tell you his age, but he's six years, he may have not been there. Okay. Because okay, I was a yeah. freshman when all this was happening in college. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so I took that class in fall 2002. And so, you know, the class, quote unquote, graduation is to perform at the comedy studio. Uh, And so that night I was on that first, I was on that show with all first time comedians. I was terrified, (laughs) Um, but it went extremely well. Like on my first show, I had multiple applause breaks um, and it went great. The crowd totally got it. And I was booked on the spot for another show and things took off from there. 
Wow, that's awesome. Rick does not book people right away. Like, so that's that's a big Yeah, that's what I heard. And I didn't really know because I didn't know about this world. So I, I just remember I knew when my comedy teacher's jaw dropped and he said, when did he book? And he said, oh, he booked you for another show. I was like, yeah, he goes, for when? And I said, Saturday. And he goes, Saturday? And he tripped over the word. And I was like, oh, I guess Saturday's a, a good night, which yes. now, of course, I know. Yeah, Saturday's <laughs> a good night. So my second show was on a Saturday night show. Um, so yeah, I mean, it just took off from there. Rick, Rick got it, which I mean, that was, that was lucky. And I mean, I still really feel like I really owe it to the audience that night who totally was, who, who got the jokes and supported it and laughed and applauded. And it it was fantastic. So after that, you just knew that this is what you wanted to do. I knew I wanted to try. Um, I still had that voice in my head of like, you know, the immigrant child and good Iranian. And now I have two Ivy League degrees to live up to. And my mother's a dentist and my father has a PhD. And I was still in my 20s. It really felt like, hey, you know, as my mother always says, it's it's not too late for dental school. Um, So I still had that voice running through my head. But I knew I wanted to try this. I sort of thought this is something I never thought I would do, but I felt like I could make an impact in this way that I could change, hopefully change people's minds or get them thinking or address issues they had never heard of doing that through humor. So this time when you were starting to think that this is what you wanted to do, what were you thinking in terms of making an income? So at the same time, as I started that stand-up comedy class in fall 2002, I got a day job at the Harvard Kennedy school. And it was a 50% pay cut from Wall Street. Um, But I knew that that job would give me my evenings to go out to comedy clubs. And I have to say, the Harvard Kennedy School was extremely supportive of my comedy career. They were fantastic. That's awesome Um, when your employer is Yeah, yeah. From my colleagues to my managers to the overall the school. Like I performed at school multiple times. They put me in their alumni magazine, which was unheard of if you weren't and alumni of the school, they were super supportive. And I'm just still really grateful for that. Now let's talk about your parents. Did they come to your first show at the comedy studio? No, I did not let them come. They came uh, maybe a month or so and they came to the show. And what did they think? They thought it wasn't too late for medical school. <laughs> um, what was that conversation like that they what, like did I mean how was the conversation in general when they found out that you were doing comedy I mean they my mother my father sort of expresses his opinion then sort of lets it go my mother does not let anything go <laughs> um so I, I would hear from her all the time like because I I so I lived with them at the time um because I had that year of unemployment I had just moved home um and I was still home And I would come home tired from shows and she'd be like, well, why don't you quit? It was always, well, why don't you quit? Um, So that that was tough because, yeah, I would come home tired. And as you know, not every show goes well, especially at the start of your career when you're out on like a Tuesday night open mic Mm -hmm. and you come home and you're getting up for your day job the next day and trying to juggle all of that. So it was really, it was tough. When did that conversation with your parents start to change where they became more accepting? <laughs> I think when I started appearing in newspapers <laughs> and on 
TV and on the radio. And my mother's friends, and particularly her Iranian friends, would say, oh, I, I saw your daughter in the newspaper. And she'd be like, oh, really? Um, and so it took sort of the approval of others, particularly mm -hmm. from the Iranian-American community, for her to sort of come around. And then they were proud of you. I, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> Um, they had faith in you. They realized you were funny. Oh, well, yeah. It was kind of like, well, okay. And I remember at one point, my father, we were watching the Oscars together um, a couple years in, and I, f I forget who was hosting, but it was a, com it, it was a comedian. Um, and, and they were showing clips of past Oscars, and it was like Whoopi Goldberg and Billy Crystal and, you know, other stand-ups or people who had started in stand-up. And he said that he was like, oh, stand-up comics can do this and they can go host the Oscars. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. And that kind of thing made them come around. I think they just didn't see a career path or a future in it. Um, so I remember that moment of watching the Oscars with my dad and having him see, oh, okay, the career, a career is possible here. So when did you realize that? Like when did, what, what show were you on or did you get off of or what event happened that you finally said to yourself, I can do this for a living? Hmm. I think I always had my doubts just because I knew comedians who, as you probably know, you can make it and not really make it. And you can be doing well and get TV opportunities and still have your day job. So I, I would say I never really knew, but I think when I got to the point where I was getting enough requests and for each gig, I was getting paid enough that I could go full-time into comedy. I was like, Hey, I can actually do this. And it's going to be tough probably because it's not super predictable, but I can, I can at least try. So I was a full-time comedian and speaker for five years. And at that time, were you still in Boston or had you moved to San Francisco? When I decided to go full time, I moved to San Francisco. Hey, it's me, Shereen. Sorry to interrupt. Creative Breakthrough listeners, are you enjoying this episode? If so, I have a quick favor. Could you leave us a review, whether on Apple, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you're listening from? It's a great way to pay it forward and let other creatives know about the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay, I'll get back to the original interview now. Thanks. Bye. So like looking back now at your life as a comedian and where you went and what you did, I mean, again, still, I still think you were a household name, even if you don't think that, um, Thank how you. do you feel like your creative journey shaped you? Hmm. There are times that I am really glad I did it. And given my current, you know, employment situation, there are times I really regret ever having done it. Um, so I toggle between the two. I think mostly I'm really grateful for the experience. It's something I never thought I would do. Uh, and so to have that opportunity to speak to people, to speak to audiences directly, and, and to give them a, a stories that they likely hadn't heard before. I mean, what a fantastic opportunity that was. At the same time, it did in terms of not having sort of made it in terms of income and, you know, not having a career like Ellen or whoever and having to go back to the world of day jobs. It really set me back. And when you, so. Oh no, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying it really set me back once I tried to go back into day jobs. So 
I have my moments where I go, where would I have been if I had never done this comedy thing? When you say set you back in terms of day job, is it, do you mean you're not as far in your career as you had hoped, or is it hard to go back into the workforce because people think you're not serious about working? Both. Um, One thing I've noticed is, uh, so I'm actually looking for a job right now and people don't really understand comedy or the, as much as I try to sell the transferable skill set and look, I've done all this stuff and I got on stage and I I did build this career and Shireen says I became a household (laughs) name. And, and I think people just still think that it's like comedians or just people who are talking about their body parts at the chuckle Mm -hmm. hut. They don't think about you running your own business and doing the, the finance and the outreach and the media and the marketing and everything else that we do to make the whole thing run. They just think of, you know, you know, your little jokes at the chuckle hut. So I I think I, I, I wish people understood careers in the arts and just how much it takes a little bit more to know that even if it's your desk job that you're looking for someone for an artist with that background still brings a lot mm-hmm. to the table. That's true. Yeah. I mean, yeah. some people, like you said, yeah, people still think it's, you're still up there talking about your genitalia and not being an activist. Right. Exactly. So, Exactly. So before we go into the lightning round, last question for you, what advice would you have for creatives on their journey? Mm-hmm. I would say it's going to be tough. There are going to be ups and downs. If you love it, do it. There are going to be moments when you hate it. That doesn't mean you give up. And try. And you may have a great career. If not, you had a life experience that maybe you knew you wouldn't have. But note that there will be ups and downs. It's not going to be a linear line that just goes up. You guys can check out the rest of that episode, episode 34 at creativebreakthroughpodcast.com or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts, including Google, Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Hey, you might be thinking, Shereen, that was a lot of ups and a lot of downs. What's up with that? You said this was supposed to be fun and exciting and we should go for it. And the answer is yes, you should. But I want to be honest with you that it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be full of ups and downs. And Tisa was very honest about it. She told you, she said it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. She's glad she did it. And now she runs her own consulting firm. I mean, you can make things happen. You just got to put the effort in it and you've got to be passionate about it. But life isn't going to be fair. You may you may make it, you may not make it. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you about that. Cause look at me, I've been doing comedy for well over five years now and I'm still waiting for that big break, but I know it's going to come because I keep working at it. I keep putting in the effort and the time and the energy. And so you can do it as well. I have faith in all of you. I do. Okay. Key takeaways from today's episode with Tisa Hami. One, your creative life could surprise you. Two, don't be afraid to deviate from a standard career. Three, don't be scared to try. Four, it's a life experience even if it doesn't work out. And five, if you love it, do it. Don't give up. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Thanks for listening. Stay connected about upcoming resources, including opportunities, festivals, competitions, and grants to help you grow your creative passion by subscribing to my bi-monthly newsletter, 
by visiting funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. Don't miss out on a life-changing opportunity and subscribe today at funnybrowngirl.com forward slash subscribe. And hey, if you decide to go on Instagram today, follow me. I'm Funny Brown Girl. I'm Shereen Kassam, and you've been listening to Creative Breakthrough. Now, go flex your creative muscle and keep winning. Keep winning.